Welcome to Franchise Marketing Radio, brought to you by SEO Samba, comprehensive high-performing marketing solutions for mature and emerging franchise brands. To supercharge your franchise marketing, go to seosamba.com. That's S-E-O-S-A-M-B-A dot com. Welcome to Franchise Marketing Radio. Stone Peyton Lee Cantor here with you this morning. And today's episode is brought to you in part by the Business Radio X Studio Partner Program, equipping franchisors to help their franchisees dominate their local market. To learn more about serving your market and growing your business, go to mybrxstudio.com. Lee, this is going to be a fantastic segment. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast and back to the Business Radio X microphone, CEO with Tropical Smoothie Cafe, Mr. Charles Watson. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you guys? We are doing great. Uh, Charles, before we get too far into things, tell our listeners about the Tropical Smoothie Cafe kind of offering. What is the brand about and what do you guys do to serve your community? Sure, absolutely. So Tropical Smoothie Cafe was founded in 1997 down off a beach in Destin, Florida. So they made us move to Atlanta in 2012. (laughs) That beach was nice. Uh, But we have currently 812 locations. We're in about 44 states uh, in the United States. Uh, We provide our franchisees a two-to-one investment ratio, uh, and that ratio is how much it costs to build it and what the average sales are. So we've got a great business opportunity for franchisees, uh, but just as important to our guests, again, healthier, quick, casual. So about 60% of our sales are in smoothies and 40% is in food. Uh, And that includes wraps, flatbreads, uh, sandwiches, uh, and salads. So super excited to get into our communities and serve them a little bit healthier food. Now, when it started, was it uh, always the intention to franchise or was this somebody that said, hey, let's just sell smoothies and healthy food. You know, our two founders, I mean, it, like anything, American Dream Story, uh, two guys, the two founders, David Walker and Eric Jenrich. David was a Subway franchisee and Eric was a Blimpy franchisee uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s. They ran across an old beach bum hippie guy who had a place called Tropical Smoothie, literally on the beach. Uh, would go to the market and get fresh, uh, fresh fruit and would, uh, would do smoothies. Both of our founders approached their brands that were very well established and doing well at that time and said, you know what the future is? The future is smoothies. Neither one of those brands took him up on that, <laughs> offer, which is why I'm sitting here today. So they grew, they opened about three or four locations between so they partnered with that person. They did initially, they did mm-hmm. initially and they opened three or four locations. They ended up buying out. Uh, and when I say beach bum hippie guy, I mean that in the nicest exactly. way. Super nice guy, super nice guy ended up buying him out and they started uh, franchising in 1997. And David Walker, one of the founders actually opened the first location in Tallahassee, Florida, right at the beginning of uh, 1998. So, so off to the, to the, so the initial concept was some guy just said smoothies are a great idea literally and, yeah and then so he started doing it then these people who had franchising background said this is an opportunity we're successful in this thing this can be a franchise yeah absolutely they they loved the product um and loved that they really were you know as most entrepreneurs are they really saw the future both from a healthier perspective an ease of use to food cost uh, etc and as we've seen smoothies have themselves become somewhat ubiquitous these days, right? A lot of mm-hmm. people freaked out when McDonald's started doing smoothies. It ended up being a great thing because everybody knows what a smoothie is now and it's another right. meal replacement or beverage option. Um, and we do a great job of attaching our food product with that smoothie product to give somebody a full, well-rounded meal. Now, um, when you came aboard as CEO, what was your, your goal was just to keep getting it uh, 
you know, spread out around the country, that was what you were charged with primarily? Absolutely. Growth is a big is a big part, but it's not growth just for growth's sake. In our business, brand awareness is huge. And at the end of the day, um, attacking street corners uh, and involving yourselves in communities is ultimately what leads to the success uh, of great brands. And so absolutely, I'm a growth guy. My background was as a chief development officer, and I've been in franchise development for a long time. Um, so continue, uh, continue the track forward. Our ultimate goals uh, in the short term, five-year goals, 2025. We want to have 1,500 locations, a million-dollar AUV. So our average store is doing about a million dollars. And most importantly, our franchisee profitability at about 18%. So super excited to reach those goals. And then um, for a person considering a franchise, how, how do you pitch this? To them. So I would tell you Tropical Smoothie Cafe is is a great investment. One, that two-to-one investment ratio I mentioned. At the end of the day, if franchisees make money, everything will work Everybody out. Everybody wins. <laughs> Everybody wins. Right. Absolutely. So we really focus on franchisee profitability. I think we're in the right place at the right time in the market, right? We are belt high fastball, middle America. On a scale of one to 10, our average customer is about a four to six. It's not the Pilates instructor that wants wheatgrass on cardboard, and it's not you know, a sloppy Joe eater or right. fried whatever. So we're, we're right in the middle and it allows us to inspire a healthier lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So we have some more indulgent items and we have some kind of uber healthy items. So it allows our consumers to, to be inspired to do that. And our motto, eat better, feel better, makes as much sense in 1997 as it does today. Right. That's when pretty, I go across the street, and eat, yeah, it's pretty universal. So we're, uh, we're not rocket science over scientists over here. Now, are your franchisees typically, are they people that have come from other franchises? Are they um, kind of franchise uh, people who are in the business of franchising anyway, and this is just another one they're adding to their portfolio? Or are you getting kind of the brand new person that's it's the first to bite at this apple. I tell you what, for the for the first twenty years of this business, it's absolutely uh, the brother and sister, sister, the husband and wife, the the mom and pop, so to speak, franchisees um, that have driven and fueled the growth of this business. Last year, we opened one hundred and ten locations. Seventy of those, seventy percent of those, were existing franchisees. They're not opening their fiftieth. They're opening their second or third, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So when we have a system where the existing franchisees are opening over 50% of your locations, it means you're doing something oh, right. Yeah. right. So we're, we're excited about that. What I would tell you is that over the last, I would say 12 to 24 months, yes, we are getting interest from the larger multi-unit operators of other brands. Um, and our focus there is that, that makes a lot of sense, but we believe that we should continue to have a mix of the on the ground entrepreneurial, uh, mom and pop owner, as well as some of the, uh, some of the bigger multi-unit developers. They're two different animals in my world that, that both need different, uh, different things in terms of training and support. So we got to be able to be able to support both, uh, both of those constituencies. And then regarding the marketing to them, is that different strategy? Do you have a kind of mom and pop strategy and the multi-unit strategy? We do. We do. We have two, a two pronged approach. Cheryl Fletcher is our, uh, senior vice president of franchise development. Uh, and we focus on, uh, we'll go to the multi-unit show in Las Vegas for franchising. And at the same time, we do a lot of SEO and pay-per-click that is targeted towards Hey, I'm an accountant and I don't like this anymore. And I want it the old be your own boss, right? In business for yourself, but not by yourself. So two pronged approach there to get both. Cause again, we think the mix of those two is what ultimately is, is going to lead to our long-term success. And then, uh, when a, a, when a mom and pop person comes on board, they're typically buying one with the option to have several. Is that kind of the typical purchase? It, it depends. It depends. Um, the single unit person, it, it depends on capital, 
right mm-hmm. at the end of the day. This is a business that's about $360,000 all in to get up and running. The average person will have about hundred dollars to $125,000 in liquid capital, and then they'll go out to the market to, and typically get an SBA loan. We have right. a lot of vets, so there's the Patriot Express loan. There's a lot of financing options right now. But typically, you're, you're into the business uh, out of pocket for about $125,000. You take out a loan, you get it up and running. It cash flows, and it's successful, and that typically has been what we've seen is, wow, this is great. I'm making money. I want to do another one. I'm right. paying off my debt, et cetera. So we love to see that. At the same time, the scale of being able to go and open and have more capital and open three, four, five in 18, 24 months is also very accretive. And um, again, if they're making money, you want to open more of them right. faster. And then, but do you give them kind of the system and the tools to say, like, here's a roadmap for one that can lead to two, three, four, five? From a sales perspective, they have to purchase the franchises. So if they buy one and ultimately their goal is to buy, is to own five, which is the case for 90% of people. Very right. few people come in and say, I want to have one. Right. Um, so if they're ready to purchase the franchise, we may or may not sell it to them based on what their capital position looks like and what their experience position looks like. Because from our perspective, if we're selling additional franchises to one operator, we need to give them the space to go build those out. And mm-hmm. if they don't, on hand have the capital needed, we could be locking up that territory, which will slow down our development uh, and sort of eat up some of that development right. area. So it's a, it's a very one-to-one personalized conversation that our franchise development people have. At the end of the day, people get into franchising. Sure, they love our food. They love our smoothies. They love what we stand for. But they're trying to drive their income, their wealth, their equity, and their lifestyle, right? If you're going from an accountant to a restaurateur, we got to have a discussion about that to make sure that your skill set fits with what we're doing. And let me tell you something. Restaurants are a hard business. No, right. Make make no bones about it. It's long hours and low margins. Oh, sign me up for that, <laughs> right? So we got to make very sure that we're we're aligned on on what the goals of that person are because it's typically what do I want to do for my family? I want a second house. I want to do whatever. Can our business meet those goals? Because there's 3,500 different franchises out there, and there's a there's a fit for probably everyone. Our job is to make sure that Tropical Smoothie Cafe is a fit for that particular individual that we've gone out and fished for and brought them in the right. boat. We'll throw them back in the ocean if we don't think it's a good fit and they're not going to be successful. So what are some characteristics of a good fit? The, the best thing that I see is passion. If you are passionate about the brand, nothing defeats passion. Um, and so we see that a lot with our brand because, again, we play in that little bit healthier space. Most of our franchise buyers are not interested in, in some of the standard QSR that's out there that may not be as far along the health continuum as we are. Passion is number one. Number two, the ability to follow a system. I mentioned vets. We have a lot of success with our uh, with our veteran franchisees, and we're part of the IFA, the International Franchise Association's Vet Fran Program, where we discount the franchise fee in half. We want to do our part to give back to vets right. and get them into business. Um, and so following a system, vets certainly know how to do, and we talk a lot about that. We created the bicycle. We've been doing this for 22 years. We've made every mistake in the book. Make no, make no mistake. And so we don't want them to have to do it. So absolutely, the training and support, the books, the, the training online, visual books, that's what you're signing up for and you're paying for. And those franchisees that quote unquote buck that system a little bit, um, ultimately aren't doing themselves a service because they're not getting full value out of the royalties that they're paying. Cause our job is to support them and to put the systems and processes in place to allow them to be successful. So passion and following a system. So you mentioned the uh, accountant person. So it's the accountant that's working for a big firm more so than the guy that has his own shingle out there as him being the accountant. Typically, typically, yeah, I would, I would say so. It's, it's what's driving you, right? What's in your heart? And I, I know I get, I get a little corny with this because I've done it a long time, but 
this is a great country where we have a system like franchising, and we could talk later, franchising a little bit under attack like like many industries right. are. I believe in it. I believe it's the biggest economic force uh, for entrepreneurship that this country has ever seen, and there's more wealth that's been created through this model, through this business model, than just about any other. Um, and so really understanding what a person's goals are and what their passion is and what their heart is telling them to do, if you can get down and have that conversation with them and be really honest – we can make great decisions on whether our brand is a fit. Because I'll tell you what, somebody comes into a discovery day or is working with our folks and we have some of these conversations, it's completely fine to say, you know, this isn't for me. Right. I'm going to go look at something else. That's that's a win for for both. Right. Now, um, it's interesting that you mentioned the importance of franchising in terms of how much wealth it's created for people for, I mean, for a long time now. Right. It's not brand new franchising. Nope. We interview a lot of wealth management people, and the wealth management people will talk to them, and we ask them, when you're advising somebody about their wealth, do you ever talk about opening your own business or getting a franchise? And that's usually not in their portfolio Not of in their choices. wheelhouse, yeah. And, and that has always surprised me. So do you see that as well? I do. I've I've yet to I've yet to have a lot of conversation <laughs> with wealth, wealth managers around that. And I think here, here's what it is. I think- Lack of, lack of education about the particular business model. And by the way, if you really are a wealth manager, you need to know what you're, what investments you're putting people into. And you can't read three pages about franchising and really understand what it is. And you can't really understand, well, I want to do a tropical smoothie cafe or I want to do an Arby's. Okay. Well, there's, there's big, big differences. Right. I'm not saying to pick the specific franchise, but just give the, the person you're, um, kind of advising the choice of, Hey, you may want to consider if your wealth goals are this, you know, stocks and bonds and, and these things are good investments. Maybe so, you should have a money machine yeah, in your right. portfolio too. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. There's risk, right? I'm right. not going to sit here and tell you. Uh, right, I know there's risk, yeah. but so there's risk, risk in, in everything. everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the the reason I talk about the brands is because I think there's a varying degree of risk with different brands at different parts mm-hmm. of their life cycle. Mm-hmm. That would require a wealth manager to to just say you should look into franchising. I don't think they're doing. I don't think they're doing their job as a fiduciary if they're not going to take the next step and go. Well, which one which would one? you do? Right. That's that's my take. So, um, so the person that chooses franchising as a path for themselves, they have that itch. Is that what's at the heart of it? They have this itch that they want to do something on their own to, to kind of put their own stamp on something. The entrepreneurial itch. Yeah. I, w- I would say so. And, and who doesn't want to manage their own time for, for those of us who, who work in a corporate environment, right. there's, there's many demands. I, I think it's really understanding that even with that entrepreneurial itch and, and scratching it and going into franchising, um, one of the things that I've really noticed, especially with higher level, um, uh, corporate folks is that you're now the CEO, but you're the CEO of a business where you clean the bathrooms, right, exactly. do the P do the P and L's <laughs> right. handle the, you're the CMO, the CEO. Right. And some franchisees have a hard time with that because they're, mm-hmm. they're used to a team. Right. You are the team help now, desk. right? They're used to a help desk, <laughs> et cetera. So we try to talk about, we try to talk about that as, as well. It gives them the opportunity to do what they want with their time. And, and whether it's our franchise or another one, Blood, sweat, and tears. The amount of effort put in is typically the the amount of uh, the amount the business can do for you. Now, uh, can you share some stories of maybe franchisees that have kind of exceeded their own expectations? Goodness, I, luckily for me, I have mm-hmm. I have a lot of those. I think of one of our uh, one of our veteran franchisees, uh, Ryland, and his wife Jennifer Mil- Miller. Um, Ryland is a is a vet, uh, and he this is a great story. He worked as a contractor. I, I can't talk about it. So he, he won't tell you exactly what he's doing, but <laughs> but he's a contractor doing some things for the government, and he would de- he would deploy as a contractor, and they do quite well. 
and he would bank cash and he'd open a tropical smoothie and he'd go do six mm-hmm. months, come back, open another tropical smoothie. He's now, <laughs> he's now up to 10, 13 locations, wow. right? Young, young couple. They just had their first kid. <laughs> Loves the brand, is a cheerleader for it, works his tail off. So it's stories like that. I've got two franchisees that actually just combined. Uh, the group is called Dine Hospitality, Glenn Johnson and Nick Crouch. These guys are both 36 years old. They've combined their empire. They're up to 55 locations. Uh, and their next goal is $100 million in sales across wow. their organization. Um, it's pretty impressive what you can do quickly with a lot of hard work and a lot of hustle. So now, um, any advice for the, the kind of the budding franchisor out there? Is there any kind of do's and don'ts you would recommend them uh, kind of avoid or to do more of early on? It's funny. I was in New York yesterday at a conference, and a, a fraternity brother of mine from college mm-hmm. is at an emerging franchise, or it's called the Melt Shop, uh, based out of Manhattan, and they're up to about 20 locations. And we had this exact conversation. The first thing that came to mind is not expanding too rapidly. And understanding your geography. You hear the idea of concentric circles. Uh, certainly in restaurants, it's also, can I distribute? Can I get the food products that I right. need? If I'm in Seattle, Atlanta, and Boston, and I'm a young franchisor, that, that's, that's really not hard optimal. to do. It's really right. hard to do. And we talked about travel costs before we came right. on air. You got to go support franchisees. So I think it's understanding what your brand provides and picking the right franchisees, being even more diligent at the, at the front. Cause you don't have as much. But that's the hard part because yeah. you're like looking for new ones. So exactly. And so if you can set yourself up so that you are not keeping the lights on by selling franchise, we call that uh, uh royalty self-sufficiency, getting to royalty self-sufficient uh, sufficiency as quickly as possible takes the heat off of franchise sales to keep the, keep the lights on. So choosing the right franchisees and understanding your geography, cause you have to go prove the model. So when you prove it in one market, you need to go try a second market and prove it and not try to prove it in five different markets at once. That, that Those are the first two things that come to mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now in your business as the CEO, how do you kind of stay on top of the trends that are happening in the food service business? Because the landscape is changing so rapidly. It's changing extremely rapidly. So I do two things pretty well because I am, I am not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I will tell you that. I read a lot. Uh, and I stay in touch with fellow CEOs in the industry, uh, whether it is uh, Charlie Morrison at Wingstop. He was gracious enough to meet with me about four months ago. It's a big publicly traded restaurant company. Uh, we look at them as what we can become here in a short amount of time. Um, he was gracious with his time, um, spoken with uh, Firehouse Subs, Don Fox. So, so I try to network. Right, You never stop networking. And what I found, especially in franchising, is that the leaders of other franchise companies, we can sit down and we're speaking the same language. They're, they're, they're dealing with the same disruption mm-hmm. um, when we talk about third party and we talk about technology that everyone else is. So everyone's very gracious with their time. Um, and, you know, shows like yours, as well as the trades in our industry are doing a, a darn good job. I, I think of Jonathan Mays. Uh, he's a fantastic writer and, and podcaster that you want to know what's going on. He's He's got an article a day out talking about disruption. He had one this week on Grubhub. Uh, they just uh, released their quarterly earnings. And it's they're, they're the first ones that have come out in the third party delivery space to say things ain't that rosy. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting. So now how does a tropical smoothie uh, uh, deal with the, uh, you brought up delivery? So we currently, uh, well, what do we do? We hire somebody smarter than myself. So I just hired a chief information and digital officer. He's on week two. I was just up in New York with him. Uh, so Mike, he fixed it? Uh, he, he fixed it in two weeks. Can you believe good. it? Nice. Good hire. A good hire, exactly. Uh, no, he's got a little ways to go. Uh, but he is uh, previously with Papa John's and with Blooming Brands. So as we've grown as a brand, we can invest in higher and higher level talent, which is extremely accretive to both Tropical Smoothie LLC and our franchisees, more mm-hmm. importantly, right? So we're on all third-party uh, delivery uh, 
Uh, we also do uh, online, and we have our own app, et cetera. So all table stakes things at this point. Now it's about elevating that guest experience through those channels and being able to deliver on it in the cafe. And I'll give you an example. If I order through the Tropical Smoothie website and I, yep, order ahead, I'll pick it up 10 minutes, great. That customer service experience is very different than walking into the restaurant. Hello, welcome to Tropical Smoothie. I'm Charles. Right. Would you like to try the acai berry boost? You're going to get a zero or a hundred on that interaction. If my smoothie or food is ready to go, it's got my name on it and it's in the cubby and it's at the right temperature, hundred, you won. Right. Hmm. It's not any hmm. one of those things is off. Zero, you suck. I'm on, <laughs> I'm right. on, on whatever social media <laughs> right. I need to get on to tell you how terrible it is. So it's a make or break environment there. There's very little room for error and we need to understand and deliver upon our signature guest experience in all those channels and their different experiences in each channel. Now, how do you kind of um, marry the fact that when I come into the cafe and I'm having an experience and I'm interacting with the people and the brand, it's X type of an experience. And then this other one where I'm on an app and I'm not talking to anybody, I'm just grabbing something, I'm leaving. How are, am I getting kind of the surprise and delight element that could occur if I'm, you know, buddies with the guy that's making right. the smoothie. Did I mention I also just hired a new chief marketing officer? <laughs> so you see where my head is. I've yeah. got a chief marketing officer I just hired who has been a CEO before and has a really strong tech background. His name is Mark Montini, most recently the CMO of Floor Coverings International, another uh, large franchise system here in Atlanta. So Mark and Michael, they're going to be best friends because we've got it that we, we, he's got the brand and the surprise and delight. Um, and Michael has the get it done, make, make the APIs work, make everything work so we can deliver on that signature. Uh, so we can deliver on that signature guest experience. If you have anyone on your show that has completely figured it out, please let me know because I would love, I would love the answer. That's literally if you went in the whiteboard in my office right now, that's what's up there. How do we do this by different channels? You know, I, uh, right down the road was with Intercontinental Hotels in my uh, mid to late 20s, and we went through Priceline, Expedia, the disruption that right. hotels went through in their channels, right? So I do have some experience having gone through it. It's now hitting for restaurants. We'll get through it. It's going to work. Um, it's a little scary at first, but so is, so is change, uh, in general. We will, uh, we will land the plane, et cetera. Um, it's also the technology needed with our point of sale systems and our cafes and how everything can work seamlessly. Cause I'll tell you one thing. Our franchisees did not sign up for an IT franchise. They right. signed up to sell food and smoothies and to surprise and delight customers. We have to support them in doing that. And there's a lot of high costs that go with that. So figuring out the PL on our end is, is interesting. Because we got to be able to support that and support our franchisees to do the core of what they signed up to do. So now, as the technology changes as rapidly as it does, and you have to invest more and more into it, how do you kind of manage the expectations of the the person with the boots on the ground? Like you said, they expected certain things, and and um, the disruptions are coming fast and furious. So how do you kind of manage them and coach them up to talk to their customers about what? What's going to happen and what's going on? Absolutely. So when we look at cross-functionality, it's it's about our, our training and operations team working very closely uh, with our technology team. Because <clears throat> once you get it in place, you still then have to train on how this works. How does this Uber Eats order come right, in exactly. and hit the POS? And this and is different the-, the way that I trained you when you signed up yeah, four years yeah, ago. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's our job. We, we have, we have to do that. We have to do that very well. Um, so in, in process on, on a little bit of that, I mean, I've, I've got a franchisee who's doing almost 60% of his business out the door, third party delivery. That's at the extreme high scale for us, right? right? He knows how to run that business. And I would argue that's a different business right now than many of our other franchisees. We're leaning into it. I believe that tropical smoothie cafe, it's convenience. 
How do we be as convenient as possible to every one of our consumers? I'm, I'm looking at your window and I'm seeing people sitting at their desks. It's 1045. Man, a morning smoothie would be great. How do I get that smoothie to them as quickly and as easily and as with, with value as possible? The value quotient is, uh, is interesting as well. But to our franchisees, they expect us to fix it, figure it out and make it easy and to drive their top line and flow it through to their bottom line. So we're in the middle of some renegotiations on some contracts, both with vendors, uh, and with some of our delivery partners. Um, so we are, we are fully engaged and leaning in, but we got a lot of meat on the bone to fix, which we're excited about. If you're just joining us, you are listening to Franchise Marketing Radio. Stone Peyton Lee Cantor here with you this morning, and we are visiting with the CEO of Tropical Smoothie Cafe, Charles Watson. Charles, I've got a couple questions around marketing. One from the franchisor perspective, are there some some tools, some uh, some methods that are working better than others for you guys in terms of getting the word out about the opportunity to potential uh, franchisees. So the franchise development side of yeah, things. Yeah, that side of things. So we have done um, – in here in Atlanta, there's a, a thing called the Franchise Leadership and Development Conference that's put on. It was uh, about three weeks ago. And so they have these things called Star Awards, right? We've won a couple of these over the years. So it is about – what is the story you're telling on your website? How are you driving people there, et cetera? So we usually score pretty well. That comes from investment in those technologies to drive people there. What I will tell you is that people are finding our brand and our mm -hmm. business opportunity uh, primarily through the brand awareness of the brand and the search engine optimization and the pay-per-click activities that we have going on, and wow. we invest a lot of money in it. We also have continued to up our game year over year as technology progresses. The, the way that I, I go find Lee or find Stone – changes literally every six months. Yeah. So it's working. We work with an agency called Hot Dish. They're out of Minneapolis and they help us to understand the super nerdy. How do I go find these people? Uh, where we've gone is we've been able to target markets. So I'll give you a good example. Chicago this year, we've sold 38 franchises in Chicago. Wow. We did that intentionally and we did a mix of large multi-unit franchisees, some existing, some new and some singles. In there. So Chicago has been the best example of we're going to spend these dollars into Chicago to find the right partners. Okay. We found some of them and in other channels to find them to map out the market and drive development at the same time. Cause the best thing you can do as a franchisor when you go into a new market is pop them all off very quickly. So it's like, Oh my gosh. I mean, Chick-fil-A is pretty good. Right, at this, right? Right. Boom, boom, boom. They're all, they're all coming up. So we spend a lot of money, a lot of time and a lot of effort uh, in doing that. There's other. Um, ways to find leads. There's portals in our space. There's mm -hmm. aggregators. There's brokers, et cetera. We've used those in the past. We don't anymore because we're sort of at a level where we can invest the dollars that we need to, to really kind of do it all in-house through an agency. All right. So let's take it to the franchisee level in a local market. Are there some things that work better than others in, in your experience, at least for your, for your system? So we're doing a lot of sports, uh, sports partnerships right now. So we've got, had a wonderful partnership with the Braves this year. Uh, we've done, we, we've, uh, got two or three years with the Jacksonville Jaguars and we're doing the Carolina Panthers. So the thinking behind this is especially in those markets, we're pretty well established in Jacksonville, the brand is. How do we attach ourselves to a well-known, well-liked, well-respected brand to pull ourselves up a little bit, right? And so that's a targeted uh, working with uh, working with another brand that can help pull us up. Hopefully, we blast through that in five years and we're on TV and we're like some of these other big brands you see all the time. There's that. Uh, and then I would say ultimately, it's what we call local area marketing. There's there's still a heavy, heavy contingent of shoe leather. 
The franchisee mm-hmm. and our field marketing people need to get out and own that three mile radius around the cafe. That hasn't changed in 50 years, 100 years, whatever it is. And it still remains the same. Re- driving relationships, especially in our brand, we talked about it being skewing a little bit younger with our uh, customers, very popular with teenagers, very popular with high schools. That high school better know you're down the street and you better have a deal for them and get them in and support the band or the football team or whatever it is. So getting hyper local and how does our field marketing team help with that? We have a wonderful sponsorship with another Atlanta based company. I think you talked to one of the managing directors of the, of the company that invested in it. It's called Huddle. Um, so Huddle is hyper local with high schools. They're ticketing, but it allows us to advertise on the sports ticketing to, Hey, after the game. Come to Tropical Smoothie and get a two ninety nine smoothie. Nice. So it's a good it's a good partnership, and we're under common ownership uh, through BIP Capital, which is super nice. So that's working really well. And again, it's still digital, right? There's shoe leather and there's digital, and digital is national. We use a ton of uh, a ton of it nationally, but it also works very well at the local level. Now, what's some uh, things that get you and your staff high fiving at the end of the week? What What are some of the things that are meaningful to you at this stage as you're growing so rapidly and you're getting into more and more markets? Is it when that franchisee calls you up and says, hey, this amazing thing happened? Or is it we got 38 in Chicago? The first thing that comes to mind is comp sales. I look at it at a national level, but I also look at it at the at the DMA level. Let's look at Atlanta. Let's look at Jacksonville. Let's look at Salt Lake City, et cetera. So when I see those sales cranking up or they have a plus 26 in Salt Lake City for the week, that's what gets us high-fiving because that to me is the accumulation of all of our efforts because that's training. That's marketing. Right. That's that's um, everything in there. So we keep a very close eye on comp sales. If I can drive the top line for my franchisees, um, even if they're not the greatest operators in the world, even if they don't have all the technology that they need to manage food costs and labor costs, which they'll have very shortly, <laughs> they still can flow through, right? It can flow through their P&L. Uh, and restaurants, after your fixed costs, there's nowhere else for the dollars to go. So driving top line is always very, uh, very important. So that's what we high five about most. Very closely followed by the many, many community activities that our franchisees involve themselves in. At a national level, uh, we support a group out of Casco, Maine called Camp Sunshine. It's for kids with life-threatening illnesses and their families to go have a week-long uh, camp experience with nurses and doctors on hand. We've raised over $7.5 million for them uh, over the past 12 years. Uh, we raised uh, $1.2 million last year. So that's what we do nationally. But there are so many things, and we do biweekly webinars where we showcase that. We showcase our franchisees in their local communities with charities that they care about. Because, again, we give them um, the flexibility to do that. Is it good for our business to be involved in the community and drive people in? Absolutely. But you can't operate a business these days without being altruistic, right? Um, and as I, as I always say, there is no charity without profitability. Um, that's not my quote, obviously, but <laughs> that, that show that, that, that those franchises that can show that they're in the market and they care, that business comes back, right. comes back around. And that goes back to the earlier of choosing wisely yeah. the right franchisee. Absolutely. So now, um, when a person buys a franchise or a group buys a franchise, how, what are some of the tools that you use to kind of set them up for success? Or do you have, you mentioned some calls and, and things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, it's not like they bought it and it's like, well, good luck. Thank you. And I will. No, and there's many, and there's many systems that only sell to, especially in the restaurant space that only spell sell to experienced uh, restaurant operators. That works perfectly fine as well. We don't, we have, as we said, we'll use right. the accountant again as an right. example. I call it handholding. So they have their handheld all the way through the franchise development process, the investigation process, the consultative selling process to really dig in and understand, um, understand the business to make the right decision up front. Check one. Check two is 
we got to go do real estate. We got to go find a location. I got a team of five people in our real estate team. They're all assigned to each individual franchisee along with a real estate broker that's local to that area. Weekly calls all the way through. Bam, we sign a lease. Next, we're doing a handoff and it's handhold to the design and construction representative that's working with their general contractor and the franchisee. So the handholding idea all the way through. Training then comes in, right? We have, we have, we're opening, we'll open 130 locations this year. I've got a whole operations team that all they do is open cafes, right? Mm -hmm. We have to have that. So we have upped our game absolutely on how we open and launch and train, uh, especially new franchisees. Um, so it's getting your handheld all the way through the process to set them up for success so that they know how to run the business. So it's being on site for seven to 12 days, getting it going, getting the first crew hired and coming back three months later and understanding that. Um, and we've invested heavily to be able to have the bodies we need to be able to do that. Our SVP of operations, Richard Key has done a fantastic job. Uh, we got him from Papa Murphy's about a year ago. He's done a fantastic job putting that in place because again, we do not have a business without franchisees. And if we're not training them, then we have no excuse to say you're not doing it right. And then what happens beyond that, like six months in, 12 months in, what's the ongoing kind mm -hmm. of uh, care and feeding? Regular, regular cadence, ton of email communication, ton of phone communication, et cetera. We have, and there's thought leadership, I'm sure, available on demand as they need it for specific challenges they might occur. Absolutely. We have an intranet site called Trop Life where everything is at your fingertips to be able to go and get information. We need to raise the bar there as well on our training. Uh, we need to come into the 21st century. We're working on uh, implementing uh, what's called an LMS, a learning management system. A mm -hmm. uh, little behind on that in full transparency. We need to get that out so we have the RFP done for that and are looking to roll that out in 2020. How do people learn these days, especially our employees right. who are six Got mobile off the off the phone Ryan. off the iPad etc. So we've got the content. We just need the um, we need the technology behind it to be able to drive that into the cafe. So I'm super excited about that. It's all about training, and then our our, our franchise business leaders they own their own businesses. Right. In, in, in my mind, that's that's what I'm telling them. They're the tip of the spear. If there's an issue at one of their 40 or 50 locations, they're on it. They need to run their P&L of those 40 or 50 locations, very similar to if you were a corporate organization and you, you right, ran exactly. 40 restaurants, right? So that's the mindset that they take into it. All that data then rolls up. And we're looking at our FBLs and looking at their territories and their uh, franchisees. And you know we're, we're uh, quartiling it out and going, who's doing well? How are we trading best practices? So how do you trade best practices? So we, we are have over the past two years set up uh, co-ops, right? So the Atlanta DMA is a co-op. Um, the Birmingham DMA is a co-op. So what we're trying to foster, and I was in Tampa on Tuesday. Uh, so think Sarasota, Naples, Tampa, bringing all those franchisees together and having what we call a market meeting. It's about half marketing and half operations. Are they open? Is that something they're excited about? Or is absolutely, absolutely. So, so they want to learn the best practice. They're not like, look, this is me. I, just leave me alone. Because best practices, but when you when you come to marketing and you, marketing gets hyper local, mm -hmm. right? So there's a lot of discussion on. Right. It's their money, right? right? They put two percent into a co-op. We don't touch it. It sits in a bucket and we spend it. And so there's a lot of marketing discussions around that. The ops piece is, hey, we're rolling out a new chicken. Let me show you to you. Here's the preparation. Right, right, right. Blah blah blah. Um, and previously, those have been just co-op marketing meetings, and we're adding the operational component to make it more of a a market meeting. And literally just started this over the past two months, and we've had great success. Anytime you can get your franchisees together and your corporate folks, we'll, we'll, I'll fly anywhere you want to to sit and talk. And I kicked off the meeting with. Let me give you my 10-minute speech, and then you tell me what's going on. It's a listening tour, right? My, right. my job is to listen to our franchisees and react uh, and tell them what timeline we'll be able to provide uh, the services and support that they need if we don't have it currently. So now when you do kind of this uh, listening tour and go around, has there anything anything bubbled up that you're like, wow, that's a great idea. We hadn't thought about that, and there's uh, – we're going to – let's take that, and that can be uh, – 
implemented system wine? As of course, right? Our franchisees right. always have fantastic ideas. Um, the my job is to manage my stakeholders, is to manage right. my investors, my franchisees, my right. Support. I know you're, you're so I'm a little pulled. A lot of cats I'm hurting there. a lot. Of, I'm hurting a lot of cats. So a lot of times those discussions about investment have to be put in the context of prioritization. Right. Right. What's most important? Well. Guys, franchise system, to me, it's technology. If we don't get this squared away, we're going to be left in the dust. So we we really got to focus and get these three or four things done, right. and then we'll come back around to it. Um, product innovation is one that comes up a lot. We get lots of uh, great ideas. ideas. We like get lots local, of great ideas. This pl- guy's killing it with this thing. Right. right. Which, they're it's a franchise. They're not really supposed to be doing right. that, but they still play around in the kitchen. And so we try to lean into that. Every year at our conference, we have a food and smoothie um, uh challenge. Here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create an all vegetable smoothie. We're trying to create a food item right. under 600 calories that has a lot of protein in it. So we give those outlets because they're not supposed to come up with new stuff and sell right. it on their own. And, and 99.9% of the time they don't. So we try to provide them those outlets. So there are constantly good ideas. What I would say is I've tried to create a system that allows me to get those ideas in a, a systematized process. And right. what, I, what I did in my first 18 months as, uh, as chief executive was set up what I call a tropical franchisee council. It's nothing new. It's nothing uber exciting, but we hadn't had one before. Um, so in setting that up, I've got 12 franchisees, a very diverse group, single unit owners, multi-unit owners, et cetera. Did you hand select them or you put it out to everybody say, I'm looking for this board? So in full, in full transparency, I sort of made it diverse and picked to get us started. Right. Now we have bylaws and they're incorporated and all that kind of stuff. So they get to choose what the terms are and all right. that kind of stuff. It's, it's truly their organization. I just kind of had to get it off the ground. Underneath that, there's a layer of what we call committees, right? So there's the marketing committee the technology committee, et cetera. So I've got a solid 50 franchisees that my organization is in touch with literally on a daily basis, talking about whatever project we're working on. So, that is a little more efficient and effective than me flying around and let me go hit three cafes. Let me talk to and, Bob. He's yeah, got let me go a great talk to Bob, idea. which he does. And everyone has my my cell phone and my email, and they're more than welcome to do that too. Um, but that's how I try to get uh, get those ideas and those thoughts up. Because if we lose it, when franchise companies lose their way, they lose their way because they forget they have two ears and one mouth. Right. And that's the thing about having as you grow, there's so many people with opinions yep. and great ideas, and they want to be heard. Yep. And they need to be heard. They right. deserve to be heard. They're paying to be heard. And my job is to filter that and explain what the overarching strategy of the organization is. And then ultimately, hey, you don't have to own a franchise forever. There's an opportunity. on If it's not working for you anymore, you have a liquid business that you can sell. And that's, right. that's part of the beauty of it. If we're not going the direction you want to go, that's fantastic. You can sell the asset and move on to something else. Right. And that's, we hope they don't do that, of course. They're going to be super happy with everything I come up with. But that's an example of the kind of the benefits of being part of a franchise also is systems are part of the DNA. They're part of the DNA. Absolutely. We built the bike. We, do, we, we need you to ride it. Don't, exactly. put, don't put streamers on it. Don't put cards between the wheels. Well, if somebody wanted to learn more about the uh, Tropical Smoothie Cafe offering, is there a website for franchi- potential franchises? Absolutely. TropicalSmoothieFranchise.com. Good stuff. Well, Charles, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Guys, always a pleasure to speak with you. I sure appreciate it. All right. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on Franchise Marketing Radio.